You know, it's interesting. Sometimes we, um, we step into a, a series, we try to put a, an identity around it. In this series, the identity around it is a matter of life and death. And, you know, I, I don't know, that's kind of the heartbeat of what this morning really is all about. Today really is a matter of life and death. And I'm so thrilled to have the opportunity today to be able to walk through God's Word together to answer the question, what happens to you when you die? So we're going to move kind of just more progressively today, a little less preaching and just a little more journeying together so that every one of us can walk away at least knowing from God's point of view what is going to happen to me? What, what are the steps, the things that I can look forward to happening for me once death comes? And death is going to come. We talked about last week that death is the elephant in the room of life. It's there. It's a non-negotiable. It's not a variable for anyone here other than the length of days we have on this earth. And honestly, that doesn't really matter. When you look at the span of eternity, whether you have 70 years or seven years on earth, it's all about the same in light of eternity. And if the enemy can do anything for us, he would, he would blind us and cloud us from the reality of eternity and how this short moment called life impacts everything about us forever. We talked about last week, if you missed our opening, that everybody gets a dash. There's a year that we're born, and there's a year that we die, and in between is a little brief dash called our opportunity to live life, to leave awake, to do something significant and become someone significant in our little moment on earth. I love how God always weaves the timing together. And this, this particular week, we were able to celebrate as a city uh, the life of a man who absolutely is a legend in Atlanta and is really a legend to believers in Jesus and to people all across this nation and the ripples of his life all around the world. A man who was born in very humble means, who grew up in not a lot of affluence, but who was a man of incredible fortitude and character, and someone who had the gravity of life to believe God even in the face of amazing opportunity to advance himself, so much so that he would close his restaurant on Sunday, which wasn't a big deal in the 60s in Atlanta, Georgia, because if you grew up in Atlanta, Georgia in the 60s, you couldn't buy milk on Sunday in Atlanta, Georgia. Anybody remember those days? Hello? You couldn't go to the grocery store in the 70s on Sunday in Atlanta, Georgia. And then eventually somebody went crazy and opened a, you know, a convenience store on Sunday in the, in the early 80s. And before you knew it, you could actually go buy tires for your car. And it was a big moment. And then eventually the whole world said, why not just be open on Sunday? 
And this one man said, well, now that everybody feels like you can be open on Sunday, we've always been closed on Sunday, partly because there was a day and time when that was a very much of a norm of society, but now we're still going to be closed because we'd like all of our employees to have an opportunity to spend a day in worship or a day with their families. And so when you come into the food court at the mall um, and you see all these other restaurants open, you'll see the gate down on one or you'll drive up to the drive-thru and you'll realize no one's there on Sunday and even now, where it's completely acceptable to be open seven days a week, this one man kept saying, no, we're going to honor God because we believe the principles of God transcend the norms of culture. And he blazed a trail that is formidable, not only in inventing the chicken sandwich, which it's really hard to imagine living without that now that we have that. You're like, you mean there was a day that there wasn't a chicken sandwich? <laughs> but also creating a culture of honesty, of hard work, of decency, and showing the world that there's something more important than the mighty dollar. And even though he uh, obviously had incredible financial success and would be listed among the great CEOs in the history of America as a man who just humbly walked with Jesus to the very end. This is S. Truett Cathy, who has an amazing life from 1921 to 2014. And I just love that we get, as a city, to celebrate the dash between those years. And uh, Truett's uh, son, Dan, is here today. Dan, I'm not sure where you are, somewhere, I'm guessing, maybe over in that zone, over that way somewhere. But Dan, do you mind just uh, standing up and letting us say we want to honor you, we want to honor your family today, we want to recognize, remember, and thank you for your father, for this company. And so as uh, we had the privilege, my wife and I, Shelly, of being at the celebration service with a lot of other people, thousands and thousands of people, um, on uh, this past week on Wednesday, it was a, an opportunity again to think about the dash. I left there thinking about my dash. I hope you leave today thinking about your dash. Uh, as true, Kathy had 93 years on earth. I don't know if I'm going to make it that far, honestly. <laughs> don't count on it. But it really, at the end of the day, is about how we leverage that moment to become the people God wants us to become and to leave the imprint on this earth that God is giving each one of us the opportunity to leave. And then that dash comes to an end, and we all will die. We, we treat death as if it's like the worst thing possible. We're like, oh my goodness, so-and-so died. Well, we're all going to die. 
Oh, I, I, I can't believe it. I, I, I don't want to die. It's like, well, we're all going to die. It's a part of the equation. And somehow God's giving us this miraculous opportunity to embrace what the world fears most, to celebrate what the world wants to avoid at all costs, and to understand that, that death isn't really the worst thing that can happen to us unless we don't know Jesus. And then death is death. But for every one of us with Jesus, death is life. Today, I want to answer the question, what happens to you when you die? I mean, what could be more essential than that? And so, it's not going to be a lot of preaching involved. I just want to steer our way through so that you can hear Jesus and hear the scriptures unpack for you and for me today what is going to happen to me when I die. Because that moment is coming. And there are a few key, key things I want us to get our hearts around. Now, just be, be clear that we're, Christians aren't the only people interested in this. Everyone is interested in this, and everybody has a point of view on this. Other religions do, and people with no religion do. The Eastern religions, what do they say? They say reincarnation happens to you when you die. That's what's going to happen, and you can look forward to and count on that, that the soul and the spirit will link up with a new body in a new life. The Buddhists modify that slightly and say that there is a stream of consciousness that is you that just moves from life to life to life to life. The nihilists say there's no meaning in life and therefore at death there is nothing at death. The Islam faith, religion, teaches that soul and body are in an afterlife judged by Allah according to their works on earth and then sentenced to paradise or to hell. In Islam, according to their holy scriptures, there are two exceptions to that. Everyone else, according to your works on earth, your sentence to paradise or to hell. But two exceptions, warriors who die fighting in the cause of Allah are ushered immediately into God's presence, regardless of what their behavior was on earth. And two enemies of Islam are sentenced immediately to hell upon their death. These are scriptures in the Quran. And then there are the universalists, and they come in lots of different shapes and sizes, but the common thread of universalism is, and you can hear it everywhere in our culture, is, hey, we're all going to paradise. It doesn't matter how you get there. Just know that if you're on a, ro on a road or on a path and you want to get there, everybody arrives at that destination. And maybe Jesus is your road. Maybe uh, Eastern faith is your road. Maybe existentialism is your road. Maybe uh, meditation is your road or, or yoga is your road, but just get on a road. We're all going to the same place. At the end of the day, we all end up in paradise. And then there's Jesus. And Jesus, who I believe is the greatest teacher who ever lived, and a remarkable picture of what eternity is really all about, he taught us about our future, and he teaches us about what happens to us when we die and here they come, number one. What happens to you when you die? Number one, according to Jesus, your spirit instantly departs your body. Now, that seems very obvious, but I just want to make sure we start there. The moment that you take your last breath on earth, your spirit, which is you, the person of you, the personality of you, the intellect of you, the emotion of you, and the spirit of you, instantly leaves your body at the moment of physical death. 
Ecclesiastes writes it this way in Ecclesiastes 12.7. It says, The dust returns to the ground, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Now, if you've ever had that opportunity to stand in that holy place where someone physically dies, you see this happen. I mean, for, for me, with my mom particularly, and, and our family was there, my mom is, is laboring, and, and she's coming to the end, and, and there's some kind of passing in and out, and back and forth, and communication is ended, and then the last breath was taken, the very last breath, and then that was it. And it, it was like, you know, being in, in some surreal moment. I mean, we're the ones, like, closing her eyelids, and there is no movement and, and all the vitality and, and even in a, in a state where there wasn't a lot of like what we would consider life happening right before that last breath, even in that, it's a stark difference from the very last breath to nothing at all. And the stark difference is in that moment, the spirit of that person leaves the body and that body is rendered in one instant an empty shell. And you realize that as much as our bodies are incredible and God created, they serve one primary purpose, and that's to transport you through earth. And once your time on earth is over, your spirit leaves your body behind. And it is like a pair of clothes thrown on the floor of your closet, a pair of pants. It it is like a, a suit hung on a hanger in your closet. It just now is all that it ever was which was a shell and a means of transportation for you. And it, it, it will make your head spin how fast it becomes completely void and empty. I'll ne- I, I will never ever get over the fact that even though I knew intellectually all of this and I had been close to that process with multitudes of people over, over, the, over my journey in, in ministry, I had never just sat and watched the moments go by, and uh, it's amazing what happens physically when you die, and you can study that just in the moments and hours immediately after death, what begins to happen in the human body, but the spiritual reality of it, it literally almost makes your head spin. And those of you who've been there are nodding along with me right now. You're awestruck at how empty the body of your loved one becomes. In an instant. And you realize how quickly the spirit has separated from the body. And the body now is left a shell. That's what's going to happen to you when you die. You are going to instantly leave your body behind. Lifeless earth suit. And you have moved on. So where will you be? Number two, second thing that's going to happen to you when you die, and we're talking in the context of faith. We've gathered here in Jesus' name tonight, the Jesus who said, if two or three of you gather in my name, I'll be in your midst, and we are here in Jesus' name. So we're looking at this through the perspective of Jesus' followers, believers in Jesus, people who put their faith in Jesus. And what happens to the believer in Jesus when their spirit leaves their body? Second thing I want you to see is for the believer at the moment of death, our spirit is conscious with Jesus in paradise. At the instant of death for the believer, our spirit is present and conscious 
with Jesus in paradise. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as Paul's talking about the old body and the new body we're going to have. He's talking about earthly life and heavenly life. And the phrase in the middle of this is one we've always heard, especially at a funeral, a memorial service. But I want you to see it in context beginning in verse 1. And I'll just try to read all the way through this, although I want to stop about every word and uh, unpack the power of it. But it says this. And remember, Paul's writing to believers in Jesus. So that's who this applies to. Now, we know that if the earthly tent we live in, our body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we were in this tent or in this body, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal, that's this right here, may be swallowed up by life. Isn't that beautiful imagery? Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose. What purpose? God made us for what purpose? Can we celebrate this tonight? Can we just not be afraid of death for a few minutes tonight? Can we just say, you know what? Death has lost its sting and the grave has lost its power to intimidate us because this is what we were made for. He said, this is what God has made us for, that there'll be a moment when what is mortal will be swallowed up in life. And we're hanging on to the mortal like, man, I got I to gotta hold on to mortal as long as I can. And he's going, no, let go. Because I'm going to do an amazing thing. And the amazing thing I'm going to do is that the mortal you is going to be swallowed up into the life of me. And this is God's plan for us. And we've gotten confused about life, especially those of us of faith who ought to know about eternity and live in the construct of eternity. We got so confused that we're just hanging on to, to mortality like it's the best thing going. Afraid of the elephant of death in the room, like, man, whatever you do, stay away from that. And he's like, no, that's what I made you for. That's what I made you for. I made you for that moment when mortality is going to be swallowed up in life. That's what I had in mind the whole time. Now it is God, we're reading in verse 5, who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Well, how are you Christians so sure about heaven and so sure about the future? Louis, how are you so sure about eternity? Because God gave me a down payment, a deposit called his spirit, and his spirit is now resident in the mortal me, reminding me that there's an immortal me to come. I got a, a, a guarantee with me right now. I got a deposit already paid into my life, the Holy Spirit. So verse 6, therefore we are always confident. This is where the confidence comes from. And we know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. Now listen to verse 7. This is the key verse. We live by faith, not by sight, and we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. What's Paul teaching? He's teaching that for us to be away from this decaying body is to be present, some of your translations say, with the Lord. So for the believer, 
at death, our spirit leaves our body. And for the believer at death, our spirit is present with God. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now the third thing that we have to kind of wrap our heads around is this. For those who do not have Jesus, who have not put their faith in the salvation of Jesus, they too are conscious at the moment of death as their spirit leaves their body, but they are conscious in an eternity void of grace and void of God. The moment of death for a person without Christ in their life, as their life, they too are conscious in eternity, but it is an eternity void of God and void of grace. This isn't a preacher talking. This is Jesus talking. And this is how he unpacked it in Luke's gospel, chapter 16. He tells the story of a wealthy man. Now, I don't think Jesus is trying to say here that he has anything against wealthy men, but he has said in other contexts, and we have to rally around that, especially in light of, as true at Kathy today, that wealth can be a huge stumbling block for people to grasp onto the reality of eternity. It can be a major, major barricade to people on earth understanding what really is important. And that was the case with this guy in verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. He was driving a Bentley and he had a gigantic 20,000 square foot house with an ornate pool and three tennis courts. And that was just his beach house. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. Now, you know, looking at every word in Scripture matters so much. Do you see that what's being said here? Not just at his gate was a beggar named Lazarus, but people actually brought Lazarus to his gate to say, man, this guy's loaded. I, I bet if we put you right here by his gate, he's going to come out of the gate and he's going to see you and go, I got fine linen. I got, I got all the money in the world. I've got everything I could possibly need. What can I do to help this guy? And so people brought this beggar named Lazarus and they put him by the gate. He was covered with sores and he longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. And even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the time came when the beggar died. And interestingly, the angels carried him to Abraham's side. What an upgrade! What an upgrade. I went from the rich man's gate, dogs licking my wounds. Have you ever seen that, by the way? We were, we were in, in Delhi, India, a few months ago on the Passion Tour. We went uh, out to see this major site in the city of Delhi. We went to this huge uh, temple. And when we went there... There were beggars all at the gate because it was a tourist destination. And one of the men in that gate, his leg was completely an open wound. Any, I mean, one thousandth of this guy's wound. And any of us would have been rushed to the nearest emergency room. And he's just sitting there in the sun. Hoping that anybody, he, he doesn't think anybody can fix his leg. He's just hoping somebody will give him money. 
And I don't even know, maybe he's been put there by somebody and he has to give them all the money that somebody gives him. You, you, you don't know. And so what, in that moment, what you can do is you can speak Jesus. You can, you can try to care. You can, you can show him concern and let him know that you see. But there's some things you can do and some things you can't do. And you, this is one of those moments where you want God to do like an instant miracle and you hope for that. But that wasn't the, the outcome in this particular moment. And, and it sort of puts you in the context of what life really is for a lot of people. Like today. Not just back in the times when Jesus was talking. And this guy instantly got a tremendous upgrade because from the dogs licking his wounds, the angels came and gathered him up in death and ushered him up to Abraham's side. A person too stinky and too smelly for most people to even consider. The angels didn't mind picking him up and bringing him right into paradise. What an upgrade. The rich man also died and was buried. Notice the angels did not come to pick him up. Verse 23, shocking and a little bit jolting. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham... Have pity on me. This means to me he knew who Abraham was. He had knowledge and understanding of the things of faith. He had heard the Old Testament scriptures read and told to him. He must have been in the synagogue. He must have heard the stories. He must have come to church and heard the messages enough that he had some knowledge in this moment that that's Abraham up there with the beggar Lazarus by his side. God forbid that there would be somebody here tonight, and I, I just have to pour my heart out in this, that would have come around and heard the stories and have enough information that when you get into eternity, you go, I can see from here, that must be Jesus that they talked about. Oh, I know who it is, because I heard the messages. My wife used to always make me come to church with her, so I've, I've heard it all. And I heard enough to know that from here I can distantly see Jesus. That's who Abraham is representing in this moment. So he sees him and he calls out to him, Father Abraham. He says, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime... And your dash, you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Can I just encourage you today? This isn't a preacher on fire at a tent revival telling you this. This is Jesus Christ, the sacrifice for the sins of the world, telling us this. And so he answered, and I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And Jesus said in the last verse, verse 31, 
If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. What what did we learn about this? We learned that the rich man is conscious in eternity at death. We learned that the rich man is conscious in an eternity without Christ and without grace in death. And then we learn the most practical things about him, that he can see and know that there is a place where he would rather be. That just touch your finger in the water. What water? What, maybe it's the crystal sea around the throne of God. It's refreshing. It's life-giving. And he says, just let him touch his finger in the water because that looks so amazing that even a fingertip in there will satisfy the torment in here. So he understands where he isn't. He also understands the urgency of wanting everybody in his world to know that they don't want to end up where he is. So that hell then is an awareness that I'm not where I want to be and I'm where I, all the people I know and love that I don't want them to be. And then he realizes that maybe something as grand as a resurrection will get people to make a shift. But coming around the reality of that It didn't work for him, and it wasn't going to work for his brothers either. And Jesus is teaching us that for some of us, what happens to us when we die, if we die without that saving righteousness of Jesus in our lives, we're instantly conscious in an eternity without Christ and without grace. And there is a fixed gulf in between that cannot be crossed. The fourth thing that Jesus wants us to know that happens to us when we die, and this is pretty, pretty fantastic, is that, that his second coming in the resurrection of the dead, our bodies and spirits will be reunited and perfected. Did you know that? Because your body is going to go into the grave and ultimately decay. But when Jesus returns at his second coming in the great resurrection from the dead, all the graves of the world are going to be emptied and our bodies are going to be resurrected again, perfected in an instant and rejoined with our spirit. So we're not going to be just disembodied spirits floating around in heaven with little Casper ghosts, you know, set up on that uh, we're going to actually be reconnected in eternity with our physical body made perfect all over again. God loves your body. God created you and conceived you in your mother's womb, and he loves who he made you to be. He just wants to upgrade you and perfect you into a perfect body to be joined with your perfect spirit so that together you are with him forever in his forever future. So some of you are like, I don't want this body anymore. I want him to put it in the ground, and I need it to decay. At least I'll lose a little weight that way, and that's what I've been working on right now. So Maybe by the time he raises it up out of the grave, I'll be 10, 20, 30 pounds lighter, and that will go well. No, he's going to give you the body you want, or at least the body you're going to want to want when he gives it to you. Right now, you're thinking, I know which body I want. Yeah, can you sign up somewhere? Is there like a website, and there's like 10 different guys, and you could go, yeah, I want that one in the resurrection. I, I, no, I like that one right there in the resurrection. It's going to be a you that's so upgraded and amazing that you're going to be happy, and we're going to be able to recognize you and know you. Here's what I, I hear uh, a lot of times people say, well, are we going to know people in heaven? Of course we are. You're not going to be dumber in heaven than you are on earth. <laughs> Heaven is an upgrade, not a downgrade. 
So you don't get to heaven and go, now, who are you? That's weird. I, I don't recognize you. I, the voice is kind of familiar, but I'm not really sure. Seems like you were taller, different skin color, different hair color, different shape. No, it's going to be like, like, just perfected. And no, I don't know at what age your body is going to be, you know, resurrected to. I know some of you are thinking, I'd like to go back to 28, you know, got to get that body back, you know, when, when I'm raised up. You're not going to care what age it was because it's going to be the perfect you. And it's going to be like you, just like you in eternity are going to be like you. Think about that. You have a sense of humor? You're going to have a sense of humor. You a dry sense of humor? You're going to have a dry sense of humor. No sense of humor? Guess what? You're going to get perfected and get a little sense of humor <laughs> in heaven. It's going to be amazing. But it's going to be you. It's not going to be a generic, mashed together, human form being. It's going to be you. We will know you. Because it will be like, like, just perfected in that moment. Your body, your spirit rejoin forever. You say, well, Louis, I thought the Bible teaches in some places that when you die, you go to sleep. And you go to sleep and you stay asleep, your body and your soul to stay asleep. And then Jesus comes, the trumpet is really loud. And when it blasts, it wakes everybody up out of the grave. And they're like, oh, it's time to get up. We've been sleeping for a while. And everyone awakens to eternity. It's really not the teaching of Scripture. The Scripture very much teaches about us in death as sleeping, but it's always referring to our bodies, not our spirits. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 15, a passage that brings incredible comfort to us in the grief of death, incredible hope to us at the grave. And in this passage, we see this spelled out for us. I wish I could read the whole chapter, but it's a really full and lengthy chapter. Let's just read a few sections together, beginning in verse 42. So, so will it be with, with the resurrection of the dead? The body, can you just say body? The body, can you say that with me? The body, I want you to understand we're talking about the what? The body, not the spirit, not you, but the body. So that's what we're talking about. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. Sown in weakness, but raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. So what Paul's trying to teach here is, not only are you absent from the body and present with the Lord, your body, which was natural, is going to be raised up again as spiritual and that's what is going to happen to us at the coming of Jesus and the great resurrection of the dead. So then just drop down a few verses to verse 50. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, we can't go into heaven like we are. We can't just go rocking right into heaven in the flesh and blood that we're wearing right now. It's not possible because of the nature of heaven and the nature of sinful flesh. So flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable, what does that mean? This decaying body inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. See, there's the word. We will not all sleep, a word that they would often use for death. Why? Because in death, you are going to look like the body of you like you are asleep. But we know that you're not asleep because you are gone into the presence of Jesus or into an eternity without Jesus. But your body looks like for a season it is asleep. But that's not you. We say that at the service. She's not here. He's not here. That's not them. And it's one thing to say that about someone you know. But if it's your loved one, your flesh and blood, you know that's not them. 
It's the closest thing you have to them. It is a body that belonged to them and served them, but you know, that's not them. I mean, there is no life, there is no vitality, there is no personality, there is no being here. It's just skin and bones that served a short-term purpose to carry us through this life. And, and we mistakenly pick up these you know, phrases like rest in peace. It's like, you go to the tomb and it says on it, rest in peace. And it's like, well, the body is the body. It's not going to rest in peace. It's, it's going to decay. That's what it's going to do. It's perishable. And without oxygen constantly supplying all of its members, it is going to perish more and more and more. And the person is not here. We, we go to that place because it's a special connection and it's the closest thing we have to the person we love because their spirit is in the presence of God and we really can't be there. And so we go there to say, this is as close to you as I can be. And it is special and it is meaningful and it is in a way holy. Even to get around the perishable is still holy because God made that. And that's the person that we love. But the person is gone. And so they're not resting in peace because they're in the presence of Jesus. Or they're in the absence of Jesus and there is no rest in either one of those places. Resting in Jesus is not really resting. It's more rejoicing in Jesus. And that's what happens to the believer when they die. When my mom passed away, I could not come to say, MJ, rest in peace. Because I knew my mom, who had lived a very decaying life down the last few years of her life, who couldn't walk unassisted, who wasn't able to think like she always could think, and who couldn't pull pranks and have that little smile that she had and she couldn't have that quick wit and that little sometimes sharp comeback that she had and I knew my mom with a glimpse of Jesus a was going to fall down and worship him because she adored him and treasured him and loved him like nobody's business but I also knew as soon as it was permissible for her to get up from the from the falling down position she was going to start dancing in the presence of Jesus because she was just like that and so I wanted to say not rest in peace but dance with Jesus it's not R.I.P but DWJ is really what we need to put on the marker of my mom, dancing with Jesus. The perishable is perishing. Mom's dancing. Without a body, which is weird. But spirit being excited, happy, rejoicing, thinking, whole. He said, this is the mystery, that we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, talking about the body, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. What will be changed? Look, the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. 
So at the moment of death, when our spirit leaves our body, we do have victory if we are in Christ. We are happy because we are in the presence of Jesus in paradise. But the grave is still a real reminder to those we love that our body has been stuck in the ground or put in an ash box or an urn on a mantle or scattered out over the ocean or Lake Alatoona, depending on your particular flavor in life. And, and somewhere there is the remnant of death. And at the coming of Jesus, it's all done away with. All the graves of the saints of God are emptied in victory. God could raise us up, our bodies up, without disturbing the ground, but I have a feeling he's going to leave gaping holes in all the cemeteries of the world. And say a coffin cannot hold you down, a vault cannot keep you down, the dirt can't keep you down. I am coming now to complete this saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Spirit and body reunited and perfected in eternity. That's what's going to happen to you when you die. Something to look forward to, amen? You can check out, and I won't look at it with you, but Acts 7, the last verse, Stephen, bless his heart, is being killed for his faith in Jesus. And the very last verse of Acts 7, Stephen says, he looks up into heaven, and he says to Jesus, receive my spirit. And then, Jesus, and then Stephen falls down. With his last breath, he says, forgive these people who are stoning me. And then the scripture says, and then Stephen fell asleep. So you see both passages, I mean both ideas in one verse. Jesus is receiving my spirit, my body now is going to sleep and there'll be a day when God wakes up my body with the trumpet sound of Jesus and we are reunited in eternity. If for some reason somebody convinces you that there is soul sleep and, and you die and you go into soul and body sleep until the coming of Jesus Christ, it really is immaterial. I think it's important for me. I just like to know what the Bible teaches, and this is what the Bible, all of it teaches when put together. But if somebody pulls a verse up here and a verse up there and says, hey, it's all about soul sleep, it's immaterial to you because that is a nanosecond that you will never know or understand. The reality is at the instant of death, you are in the presence of Jesus. Praise God that death has no hold over us. Number five, and we got to hustle through these, and uh, I'll expound on this one a little bit later. But number five, and this is where, you know, if you're a believer, you're pretty happy so far. If you're not sure, you're thinking a lot right now. If you know that you know Jesus and have accepted his grace and mercy and have been justified by his death in your, in your place, then right now you're like, okay, I like all this so far. I'm instantly conscious in the presence of God. My body, which I'm not all that thrilled about necessarily, gets perfected and we get rejoined in the great resurrection from the dead. I get a perfect body joining up with me that's suitable for the heavenly life that I'm going to live in eternity. That's all good news. But, but number five kind of needs to come under all of our lives in a powerful way today. Number five, this is what's going to happen to you when you die, that you are going to face the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we can't preach a whole sermon right here, so we'll just have to let the Scripture be the Scripture. But we're not teaching that you get into heaven based on works. Amen? That does not happen. You get into the presence of God by receiving the gift of salvation by God's grace 
through your faith. Jesus died for our sins, paid the price in full, separates the consequence of our eternal judgment from us as far as east is from west. He was dead, buried, raised from the dead to give us the gift of eternal life. And anyone who asks him and receives him receives life. It is not based on our works so that none of us can boast. But 2 Corinthians 5 says in verse 10, after this beautiful exchange of the, the earthly tent getting exchanged for the heavenly tent, verse 10 it says, for we must all, all, this is all written to believers, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is a huge wake-up call for most believers. Because they think that passage that says he has taken our sins as far as the east is from the west means that, and he remembers them no more, means that, hey, we're, we're scot-free. All we got to do is get to the pearly gates, flash that Jesus salvation card, and we're rolling in. There's going to be a party, candles going off, confetti guns happening on all sides. There's going to be a great cloud of witnesses. We're going to get, you know, high fives all the way down, you know, the streets of gold down to the end where we see our house. And it's going to be a little bit like that extreme home makeover, and the bus moves, and there's your mansion. And Jesus says, here's the keys, and you roll in. Turn on the big, you know, curved, you know, 4G flat screen, you know, whatever kinds of TVs you like. And, you know, you, you want to swim, honey? You want to play tennis? I got a golf course in the backyard. You want to take the helicopter to Switzerland? What do you want to do today? This is amazing. Now, all of that is kind of a crazy picture we put in place. To mask us from this reality. Let's say you have a college kid away at school this fall. They just went, and you're a good, loving parent, and you've taught them well. But at some point, you said, Mom and Dad are going to transfer five grand into your account this semester. And that's what you use for all your books, all your gas, all your bills, all your food you're going to eat. And with one click on your computer... The money gets transferred from your account to their account. They didn't earn it. They didn't do anything. You did it all, and it went into their account. But doesn't it make sense as a parent that you're going to sit down with them come about Thanksgiving, December, and we're going to walk through what happened to the five grand? (laughs) Especially when they're saying, Mom, Dad, I need some money. You're like, no, we already wired the money. I know, but... You know, I wasn't factoring in, you know, driving to Charlotte for that concert. And so God has wired forever into our accounts. You didn't earn that. That was just an act of God. But don't you think God is going to sit down with you and me and ask us what we did with the gifts that he wired into our accounts? Or do you think he's just going to say, I know I gave you like everything you needed for life and godliness. I know I gave you everything you needed to live and survive and succeed on planet earth. I gave you forgiveness and grace and truth and mercy and life and the word and a family. And I gave you all this. But hey, you know, come on in. No, we all, the scripture says, must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Not to be, as believers, condemned Because there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote that also to the Romans. But to be compensated, if you want to put it with a positive spin, 
for the way that you used the gifts that God gave you on this earth. And there's a passage we'll look at later in this series, if anybody even sticks around later for this series. I'm sort of thinking the way it's going, it's just going to be me by the last week. But there's a passage in Scripture that talks about how there are believers in heaven who just barely made it into eternity. And they have little to show for their time on earth. And their eternal compensation is minimal. It's minimal. And so it's important for us to know that spirit leaves the body. It's important for us to know that as, as believers in Christ, that spirit immediately is conscious with God. It's important for us to know that we get reconnected together at the end of the day, brand new body. That's another thing that God is doing for us. Thank you very much, just because he can. But it's also important for us to know that we appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Without faith, without having received Jesus, this is a very disastrous moment. When there's no attorney, there's no arbitration, there's no what-ifs, there's no can I, can I explain, there's none of that. Without the covering of the righteousness of Jesus chosen by you while on this earth, there is no recourse when you appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It is over. But even for those of us covered in his righteousness. We're not going to get banished. We're not going to get condemned. We're not going to get pushed off into you know, the edges of judgment. We're just going to get compensation based on the things we've done good and the things we've done bad. Wow. You're like, well, I thought they were all covered in the blood. They are. That's why you're in heaven. Well, I thought we were forgiven as far as the east is the west. They are. That's why you're in heaven. Well, I thought it said God doesn't remember them anymore. He doesn't remember them anymore. Therefore, when he looks at you and says, could you come and be in the presence of a holy God? Yes, you can, because in your account was transferred the righteousness of God. Now, you and I are going to talk, and there's going to be a compensation based on the way you lived in the body, good or bad. And then the last thing that's going to happen to us when we die is that believers will live in their new bodies perfected in a forever and new earth. We'll talk about this a little bit more. That believers will live in their new bodies perfected in a new and perfected earth. You say, well, I thought we were going to heaven when we die. Well, heaven is the presence of God. But the scripture says and teaches, and uh, you can look at it in uh, Revelation 21, 1 to 4, 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13, that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Did you know that? That God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And just like our bodies are moving from the natural body to the spiritual body, so I, that sort of implies there's going to be continuity. So, you know, if you're kind of 5'7 and... Uh, you know, right now with a little darker skin, you're probably not going to be Chinese, you know, in heaven. People aren't going to go, I hear your voice, and I kind of recognize that, but you never were Chinese. You're going to kind of have something that reminds people of who you were in heaven. You know, if you're seven feet tall, you know, now you're probably not going to be four, 
four foot eleven, you know, when you get to heaven, it's not like going to be like spooky and weird, you know, different people in different bodies, and we're not sure who each other is, so we got name tags on, like, ah, I don't recognize you. There's going to be some semblance from the natural body to the spiritual body. Because our bodies are going to be raised, this body is going to get raised and perfected. You say, well, at what age am I going to get perfected into? This is what I'd like to know. I mean, am I going to come back as a 40-year-old or a 24-year-old? I mean, at what stage of the game am I going to... You're going to come back as a perfected version of you. And I can't really detail more about that. But you're going to be happy with it. Let's just say that. You're going to be thrilled. You're going to look at God and go, good job, amazing. And in the same way... The earth is going to be created new, and I believe it's going to be similar in kind. I don't think that the new heaven and new earth, that the new earth is going to be like some crazy thing we've never heard of before. I think it's going to be a lot like the earth we're on in a perfected version, whatever that looks like. And, you know, we used to talk about crazy things like time travel and, you know, being able to talk to your friend on your wristwatch and, you know, calling somebody from the bottom of your shoe and really crazy ideas that, you know, would never happen. And so the perfected earth could be really fantastic because God's smarter than Steve Jobs. You know, he, he could figure out a lot of ways to, like, make life unbelievable on a perfected earth. And you're going to live out life, and I'm going to live out life as a believer in Jesus on a perfect earth. Without Christ, you're going to live out your existence in an imperfect darkness. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. If heaven is for real, which everybody kind of wants to lean into pretty big, is hell for real? And if it is for real, what does Jesus say? What do the scriptures say about hell? So given these realities, this is what's going to happen to us. And by the way, in this new earth, just we'll talk about this a little bit, we're going to rule and reign. So it's not just going to be all, you know, doing interpretive dance all through eternity. <laughs> you're going to rule, you're going to reign, you're going to have position. People are going to be higher than other people. People are going to be over people. Some people are going to be over nations. Some people are going to be over, over regions of people. There's going to be responsibility. There's going to be order because God's always created order. Every time God's created, even in Eden, before sin, there was order. God always puts things in order. He always puts things in a way that everybody has a place and everybody has something to do and everybody has something to look forward to. Everybody has something about life that's engaging and amazing. And the new earth is going to be like that. And part of that compensation package is going to be some people in the new earth are going to have high position and some people are going to have really low position. You're like, well, that doesn't sound like a heaven I want to go to. Well, what kind of heaven do you want to go to? The one where we just all, you know, pray a prayer at the end of a gathering and then we're just all instantaneously, whether we are faithful to the very end following Jesus or whether we just blow every opportunity we get, we just all stand on common ground. No, you want to get to heaven and go, I pursued Jesus and I believed Jesus to the end. And he's going to say, you know what? And I'm about to reward you for that. And this other person who said, I never took it seriously. I just, all I cared about was getting my passport stamped into heaven. And then I just took my life for myself every day after that. Not going to be the same experience in heaven. We're all going to live in a perfect earth, in perfect bodies. So you got two good things going for you. You are in heaven, so you're going to go, thank you, Jesus. 
You are perfected. You're going to go, thank you, Jesus. No prescriptions. Thank you, Jesus. Completely perfect. But once we are there, we are going to be experiencing life not completely different than we experience it now. Just perfected. And we're going to be rewarded in that future based on what we invested in this moment. And whoever lays up treasure for themselves, guess what? They've got treasure when they get there. And the people who were not generous to God and get to heaven are in heaven and they got zero in their bank account. This is the teaching of Jesus. So what is our application of that today? It's really simple. Number one, the application is that we would humble ourselves. That passage in 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13, we didn't read it, but it says, and what kind of people ought we to be knowing that we're going to be raised up into a new heaven and a new earth? What kind of people ought we to be today? I saw this image from the International Space Station. I know you hate me bringing these things in here, and uh, forgive me for that. But this one was taken of the atmosphere of Earth, that little blue, light blue area. It's 300 miles wide. You can imagine how far that is in some trip that you've taken recently. But the most important parts of the elements of the atmosphere are 10 miles thick. The distance from here to the airport is the difference between us being alive or dead. Is that thin blue zone in a width from here to the airport. is the difference between us and the dark, vast space. And when we see that and understand that God has given us a fragile gift called life and a little dash on earth, we should humble ourselves and ask that question, what kind of people should we be? The second application, we should repent today of our sin. We should repent of everything in our lives that has contended against the supremacy of God in our hearts. And we should say, I am done with it. And I confess it to God. And I turn away from it. I repent. And I want to live and walk a different way starting today. Why? Because... My spirit is going to be conscious in the presence of Jesus. My body and spirit are going to be reconnected, and then I'm going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And I won't be able to repent then. i got to repent now. The third application is that we embrace Jesus. You know, I just was praying about today and I thought, Lord, how could anyone come to Passion City Church today and not embrace Jesus? And not say, I need a Savior. If there's a Lazarus who's raised up to Abraham's side and there's a rich man who's being tormented in hell with a great chasm that divides, I want to be with you in paradise so therefore I want to recognize that you came from heaven to earth gave your life for the sins of the world and for me I want to confess my sin repent of my crazy life and I want to say yes to you Jesus and I want to embrace you for who you are 
and stake all my hope for the future, all my hope for heaven, and all my hope for this life on you, Jesus. I can't imagine somebody being in this room today and knowing that you have a little dash in your hands called life and a little fragile atmosphere that's barely thick enough to get us from here to the airport. And that you would walk out of this room today and say, I'm going to think about that. I'm going to give that some thought. You know, one of these days, some point down the road, I might really start getting my head around what's going to happen to me when I die. And I would just pray today that everybody in this building today would embrace Jesus. Because today, the scripture says, is the day of salvation. And then lastly, how do we apply it? It's to look for paradise, amen? You've got to put it on the radar screen somewhere and say, that's where I'm going. To look for paradise and recalibrate everything accordingly. We talk about giving every day here. I, all we ought to be, have to do for my life and yours to talk about giving here is just to, to come each gathering and say, we're all going to heaven, amen? Now our touch team is coming to receive our giving, and we should just go. <laughs> That's all we should have to say about reaching the city. We're all going to heaven, so therefore go this week and share the gospel with people. It doesn't matter if they like you, don't like you, accept you, reject you, understand you, misunderstand you. Who cares? We are going to paradise. Let's tell the whole city that Jesus is alive. Let's recalibrate our lives accordingly. So C.S. Lewis said it this way. And man, it's such a wake-up call for us all today. He says, if we consider the unblushing promises of rewards in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And that is a living picture, I believe, of what church is all about. It's a collection and a family of people touched and saved by the grace of God who say this world is never going to dampen our appetite for what is to come. This world is never going to fully satisfy us and we're not going to get so easily pleased by all the flash and the glitz of this present day and time because we have got our hearts set on Jesus. And on the moment instant on a day that none of us knows that our spirit leaves our body and is instantly hopefully by grace in the presence of God if you have a loved one in Christ who has died they are present right now with Jesus in paradise 
you can keep honoring that grave because that in a way honors the memory of them that there will be a day too when that grave is opened up and their body is perfected and together spirit and body they are in a perfect earth with Jesus forever and that's our hope all of us who put our trust in Jesus.